Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast. I'm so excited to have with me today Justin Hart, founder of Rational Ground. The website is rationalground.com. He's the author of a new book, Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane. The link to the book is in the show notes of today's podcast, and you can find the book on Amazon and wherever books are sold once it's released. Justin, thank you for coming on. Stacey, so great to be with you today. Thanks for having us on your podcast. So let's talk about this. First of all, you your organization is called Rational Ground. Talk to us about what you do there. Yeah, basically, we're a ragtag bunch of analysts, doctors, uh, and just activists, parents who were from the very beginning, I'm talking from March 2020, really concerned about the policies that were enacted for the pandemic and for COVID. We, we basically went to the, the drawing board, went to the chalkboard, started doing the numbers ourselves, and realized how off-base our health overlords were when they made the assumptions that they did and when they made the recommendations that they did. So we formed this group, Rational Ground, and it's grown across the country. We sort of dub ourselves Team Reality, where we talk about the actual reality of stuff that's happening on the ground, the flip side of the coin to the lockdowns, especially towards our children and what was happening with the school shutdowns. And now we're basically in COVID cleanup mode. Uh, the book that I have coming out, Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane, is a review of everything that happened, busting all the myths. And now we're in this mode where we're basically trying to make sure that something like this never happens again. So when does the book come out? I want to start off with that as well. October 18th, three weeks. Okay. And uh, we've got a conference here in San Diego with Rational Ground. Uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is going to be there. Dr. Scott Atlas. Uh, it's uh, it's a week from this Saturday, October 8th, here in San Diego, where I am. And we're basically just trying to gather a, a big storm of people uh, to tell the tale because we need to capture what happened. Um, and then we need to make sure that there are things enacted so that we don't fall down this rabbit hole again and end up really harming our kids. Because the harm to our kids is pretty extraordinary right now, Stacey. It is. And, and it's ongoing. That, I think that's the part that is driving people a little nutso. People don't understand just how far-ranging and still impactful the COVID lockdowns are on America's children. We keep seeing announcements. Um, the National Education Report Card came out, showed that we've lost 30 years worth of math attainment in America's kids. The, the nine-year-olds were the ones who were measured for that one. Um, all, all across the country, they report now up to a million children have just disappeared from our public school system. They don't know where they've gone. They, they didn't receive notification that these kids are being moved to private or parochial or homeschool. They just don't have any idea where they went. Um, they also are seeing an increase in depression, suicidal ideation, drug abuse. Um, so all of the indicators point to America's children being seriously damaged by something. And I believe you would agree that it, it's the lockdown and the horrible ideas that were implemented for, quote unquote, safety that mainly landed on our kids. Yeah, look, we're adults. Uh, when things turn into politics and policies affect our bottom line, when they close down our businesses, our churches, that's one thing. But when you come after our kids who can't go back and repeat the last two years, three years of schooling, it really has an impact. A, a study just out today talked about how there's a, a massive increase in the number of diabetes cases. And of course, their assertion or their, their thought was, well, this must be correlated with the disease. COVID must cause diabetes in young kids. But you and I both know from other studies that are out there that 
the childhood, the rate of childhood obesity went up by like threefold, right? Because kids were at home, right? Whose stupid policy was it? We know that the main comorbidities for serious um, impact of COVID are one, a lack of vitamin D, and two, obesity. And so who, you know, they, they thought somehow that sticking us inside our houses for months, outside of the sun, eating takeout, was the solution to all of our answers. And, and now we have all of these problems that stem from that, and our kids are hit the worst. They spent two years at home, a lot of them gaining weight, and now we're seeing that impact there. One other stat, Stacy, really interesting. This one I think a lot of people will agree with. One study that was out of, uh, I think, Chicago and Florida took a look at the uh, level of reported uh, domestic abuses, abuse cases that happened in the spring of 2020 and found that we probably overlooked and didn't find 250,000 cases of potential child or domestic abuse at home during the spring of 2020. Why? Because it's typically sharp-eyed administrators and teachers who call those things out and the kids weren't at school. Devastating. Oh, my gosh. So let's talk a little bit about um, the things that we can do to catch up. And I, I know you have a uh, a very good grip on this. Just looking at your website, Rational Ground, um, not only do you have this conference coming up, which seems like it's going to be pretty amazing, like I so, I so wish I could come, um, but there's also... You have articles here, San Francisco children devastated by pandemic policies, 90 citations. There is no justification for COVID vaccine mandates at schools and colleges. And by the way, I have friends who have college age kids who are attending colleges where the vaccine mandate is still in place two years in, into and past the pandemic because we're out of the pandemic now. Now we're in the endemic phase. So the proof that you are dead on is obviously you have a lot of people interested in your work. You have people who are interested in talking to you like we're doing today. But there's a lot of data out there that you have researched, that you have called together, that proves that we did this wrong and we need to make a change. What do you want to see everyone do now? Yeah, I, I think what we need to do is somehow really marginalize those institutions that are out there that are still spreading these false information, right? They point to risk of children uh, and risk of our kids who are college-age kids, and their risk is so extraordinarily low. Uh, it, it, the average age of death, that is the median age of death during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, was 29 years old. Now, if we had that same impact with COVID, I would probably be scared. I have a, a, a daughter in college as well. I'd be scared for her. But in truth, the average age of death for COVID is 80 years old. 80% of all the deaths over the, over the age of 65. And if you compare an 80-year-old to, let's say, a 20-year-old, the 20-year-old's risk of death is literally 10,000 times lower than the 80-year-old's. Uh, you, you can count in some counties that on one hand, the number of people who have died in their 20s uh, from COVID. It just is not a disease that impacts them, but they have been the most stringent about this. And I think part of it is there's this sort of virtue signaling culture that goes on. I know, um, you know, when my own daughter went to college, went back this last semester, she's in her sophomore year. And at first, you know, she was like, I'm going to keep my mask on because I said it was it was what I should do. She's just nervous, right? She doesn't want to be sort of canceled from her friends. And, and she, when she went into their first building and no one was wearing a mask, she took her mask off, hasn't worn it since. And so a lot of these kids, the best interpretation I have of it, have been brainwashed and thinking, 
that the risks of going against the grain are far greater than actually thinking, you know, for themselves and everything else and just going with the flow. So that, that's what I'm seeing out there. I think we need to basically call out those institutions, especially universities, that are continuing to mandate um, these shots. And these shots, for example, uh, they're, they're unnecessary for the vast majority of kids that are out there. And also we know that for especially young adults, the level of risk is so, is, is so high compared to this, the normal background noise that it should pause everyone. Almost every, every single modern Western country in Europe has banned the use of MRA drugs or basically not recommended them, I should say, be more accurate, for people under the age of like 50 in some cases. And they certainly have never uh, even attempted to try to force these onto kids. It's extraordinary that we've gone to these lengths and it's so unnecessary. So now let's talk about the, you have something here, it's called 90 Citations. It says there is no justification for COVID vaccine mandates at schools and colleges. Give us a little bit of information on that. How did you get the information and what are the 90 citations related to? Yeah, so we basically, what we do is we go through in a a very succinct way and we talk about how, um, first of all, the vaccines do not stop the transmission of COVID. Now, that's a far cry from what they sold us up front. If you recall, they said it was 100% effective against death and hospitalization. They were absolutely wrong. Fauci was on TV saying that they're especially good against variants. They were terrible against variants, right? And then they would ignore for months and months and years the actual impact of having gotten COVID yourself. In fact, we have a lot of evidence to show that if you get, if you had COVID, if you went through the disease already, you have natural antibodies. If you try to amp that up with actual vaccine injections, there is a possible immune complex that can happen. We have evidence of this from the Pfizer papers that were released, where the uh, it sort of puts your system on tilt because it's receiving so much of this information here. And so, you know, we what we want to look at is we want to look at all the studies that are out there, and there are plentiful there. What happens is people are trying to save face. It's the best kindness interpretation I have for people like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and the rest of these, uh, as I call them, health overlords, is they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed that they were caught uh, trying to push something they had no evidence for, and now they're trying to backtrack in the best possible way they have. Just yesterday, for example, we came out and there was a study that showed that traces of the mRNA vaccine or elements of traces of it were found in women's breast milk. Now, we don't know what the impact of that is. mRNA vaccines have only been studied and tra- on the humans since 2015. These are not longstanding technology that we have decades of research for. And, and so we don't, we don't know what the impact is for kids that are breastfeeding from their mom and having these trace elements, perhaps light lipid nanoparticles, as we say, that are being transferred there. We just don't know. And yet, even just a couple months ago, Dr. Walensky was pushing that pregnant women and women who had just given birth should absolutely get vaccinated. We had no evidence whatsoever that that was a safe issue there, and we really should have uh, paused and looked at that. But they couldn't, they couldn't help themselves because they had gone so far down the rabbit hole. So let's not be kind, because I think kindness is reserved for people who have not gone out of their way to lie to you or to ruin your life. Um, we are seeing a backpedaling because people who were enjoying the rush of power and the endorphins literally being released over their entire bodies, the feeling that they could tell people, like, for instance, Dr. Fauci, he could literally say, do not wear masks 
and everyone would not wear a mask. And then he would say, we need to wear masks. And everyone would rush out and there would be no more masks left. And so he could literally watch people move in response to what he would say on television. And he enjoyed that feeling. And so he would flip flop. He would sometimes in the morning say one thing and in the afternoon say another thing. And he continued on with that until the election started to show that polling leading up to the election showed that people were very, very upset. People had made decisions and cut people out of their lives and ended family relationships based on things Dr. Fauci had said. And instead of him coming out and apologizing and saying, you know, it was a fluid situation and we knew some things and we didn't know others and I was trying to prevent shortages while still protecting Americans, he just doubled down because, you know, Democrats never admit they're wrong. And then he went further right. than that. He he actually now is saying, well, some of the draconian measures that harmed kids they were unavoidable. We had to do those things. So rather than give him the benefit of the doubt or be kind, we should just acknowledge that he hurt people and he's not sorry about it. Yeah. So, Stacey, look, I think you're right. We need to uh, reserve kindness to uh, those that are well-intentioned. Dr. Fauci was not well-intentioned. And I think what we're seeing is that when it comes to these people that are just come lately and joining our side. At the very least, what we need to make sure is that these people never have a say in public policy again. We have people, for example, that are very accredited, seem to be very respected doctors, some of them on the opposite side of the aisle. Uh, there's one doctor in particular, she was part of Planned Parenthood, and I, you know, it blows my mind. But she was articulate, her name is Leanna Wen, and she was on CNN every single day trying to push stuff down our throats. But now, She's come full circle and she said, look, these masks are terrible. We never should have used them. It's impacting my kids. And I say, I welcome you to team reality, but I want to make sure you never have influence on public policy again. And that's really what we need to ensure. But Dr. Fauci is a total beast altogether. Dr. Fauci and the retired Dr. Collins, who was basically his boss, the head of the NIH, they were the ones in charge of actually giving grant money to studies across the country. Now, that's a big conflict of interest. When you're setting government policy in one direction and choosing who gets the money, what are the chances of a study getting approved that might nix the actual efficacy of masks when they're setting policy that's so mask heavy? We need to make sure that those ties are separated, that that sort of conflict of interest never happens again. Um, one of the things that we're really proud of at Rational Ground is what we were the core support system for Dr. Scott Atlas when he was briefly at the White House and tried to right the ship there. Now, a lot of people came after Dr. Atlas because he was not an immunologist. He was not a virologist or an epidemiologist. But what he was, was a very experienced public policy servant. And he knew how to apply actual science into policy. And so he would call out, for example, one of the big frightening things that we're going to see in the next little bit is that in the, the spring of 2020, we demonstrated that 50% of actual cancers got, uh, were not diagnosed. We had oncologists coming up to us, and they would say, hey, either COVID has cured cancer or something else is happening altogether because we're not diagnosing. We're diagnosing half as many cancers as we typically would this time of year. And the reason why is because people were so scared to go to the hospital, they didn't dare go. And now they're seeing stage three and stage four cancers come about. It's devastating. Yeah. So everywhere you look, there's carnage and you can connect it back to one particular group of people in America. And now they're scared of an election result. And so they don't want to 
own it anymore. I've seen some statements coming out of the public policy arena, the same places that told us we were COVID deniers, that we hated people, that we wanted to see people die. Those same sources are now saying, well, the thing is, it was Trump who locked Americans down. It was right wingers who wanted to shut the schools. Do you think people are buying that? It's it's almost as if they don't think our memories work, like almost as if, you know, how dogs can't remember stuff from two weeks ago. It's like they think we have the memory right. of dogs, only dogs are great. Like we love dogs, but we don't love this. <laughs> I, I think you're absolutely right, Stacey. Look, in the end, over the first shutdowns, we'll talk about that in a second, but it became the fault of governors and then counties and school districts. Uh, We have to acknowledge the fact, though, that President Trump started the ball rolling with the first shutdowns and then the extended shutdowns. I was a huge booster and still am in many ways of President Trump. I called his election in 2016. I thought for sure he was going to be elected. But I said on March 29th, I remember that fateful day when he got up at the Rose Garden and he asserted that they were going to extend the lockdowns. I tweeted out two things just happened. The extension just got put in place for the federal shutdown of the country and Trump just lost the election. Mm. It was really pained me to make that prediction because I knew that even if just one or two percent of uh, people, you know, had fear of going to the polls or otherwise, that they were going to base that he was going to lose just demographically. What's going to work out that way? But I think in the end, what happened was it opened up Pandora's box for 50 state governors mm. and 3,200 county officials and 13,000 school officials to make all these different policies. And it became chaos. And now we have all these sort of policies that are out there. And that's part of our work as well, which is going around the country and giving citizens the tools so they can put this back in Pandora's box, uh, oust the people that have made these terrible decisions. We still have school districts that are masking up. We still have mandates in hospitals where, parent, where, where people cannot see their own children who are suffering inside there, where they can't be with loved ones who are passing away. This is devastating. We need to take... Some of the examples that we saw in Florida with Governor DeSantis were enacted legislation. We can take that as a template across the country. Uh, but also, you know, President Trump has been very strong in trying to get us back in gear. But we have to acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of mistakes made. Uh, frankly, if I'm looking at the culprit, because I know all the details, uh, Vice President Pence holds a lot of blame. He sheltered Dr. Burks. He sheltered Dr. Fauci from a lot of the criticism, took them around the country. And that's why you had very strong Republicans otherwise, like, uh, Governor DeWine of Ohio, who were big lockdown artists, right? And that you saw that again and again. There were very few people who were willing to stand their ground and defend our rights. And that's, that's part of what we want to instill uh, going forward, which is telling people you have the right to defend these God-given rights. Your right to the pursuit of happiness is there, and we need to defend it. No one should ever take away your license to operate your business or your fact to uh, educate your kids or especially to go to church on Sunday. I know my own kids who were graduating high school, I have two of them, really suffered from the community of loss that they had because they couldn't get that sort of body of Christ uh, measure in their lives, and it's impacted them to this day. Yeah, I was watching our daughter, who is um, the youngest. So, you know, the youngest are always the most happy-go-lucky, the toughest to kind of rattle. And she was really under heavy burden with the – she was going to school remotely, and we literally live adjacent to her school. So it was mm. – you know, I think that made it worse. I think if we lived further away, it wouldn't have felt quite so terrible. But uh, her, uh, some of her friends were in families that were 
very concerned about, you know, everybody being killed by COVID. And so they wouldn't get together outside. Some some people did. I mean, really, honestly, there were people who continued. I know me and my Bible study group that I was in actually joined it before the pandemic was really like before we really knew what we were dealing with. And we just kept meeting. We were meeting on uh, the back patio of a friend. She had a covered patio. We would get out there with our Bibles and study. We would sing together and we hugged and, you know, we did not practice social distancing and we didn't start to catch COVID until basically the pandemic was over. Then one right. by one, we caught COVID and it was pretty mild. And um, for for everybody except one who she had, a, a you know, kind of a little bit of a rough bout with it, her and her husband, but they, you know, stayed at home and, and they got through it. They took the banned horrible drugs, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and, you know, survived. And so I watched our daughter really suffer for that last six weeks of the school year and as a junior. And she told me, and she never says, I can't. She said, Mom, I can't do this. If, if next year is like this where we're remote, I can't, I, can't, I can't do this for school. And I just, I said, it's okay. We'll figure something out. And I went and told my husband, I said, she's not going back there if they're remote. And he just looked yeah. at me because I usually will say, what do you think we should do about this? Or, you know, I rarely come in and make a blanket announcement. And he said, yeah, I noticed the change. I, I agree. We had a chance to write a letter over the summer and we did. And it really made a difference. But she was in a private Christian school. So a private Christian school is going to listen because you're paying tuition. And if you don't send your kid there, you don't pay tuition. The public schools have the benefit of our money, whether our kids are there or not. So that means they don't listen. And that's the big lesson here that I, I think some parents got it and a whole bunch of other parents, they still haven't gotten it. When you pay out of your own hand and they have to rely on that payment, when they're waiting on a check or a direct deposit, they are much more responsive than if the money comes out of your taxes, whether you want it to or not. Yeah, uh, I will say, Stacey, though, our experience was very different as well. We have our two of our children in a classical Christian education school here in San Diego. My wife had had them since the very inception of the school. And they took a tack. They were one of the only schools that was open during the fall of 20 to the spring and, and winter of 2021. But during that awful 2021 winter season, when quarantines were the get-go, they basically quarantined at the drop of a hat. They folded like a card table when the, when the county came after them. And there was no sort of school forum where I could get up in front of them and the other parents and like in these public forums, like you would in a public education class and actually convince parents that was the case. They didn't have those things. And so we actually pulled our kids out of there and sent them to a public school, which actually was less stringent. This private school was more concerned about their reputation with higher education, which was masking and vaccinating kids to the nth degree than they were with actually educating my kids. So it differs, and it's something that we basically need to culturally change um, somehow in our country to value that education. But generally, you're absolutely right. When you have that sort of pay, you have more influence. But in our situation, we found exactly the opposite. It was so rough. Wow. It was difficult. So it, uh, it, you know, it affected everyone. And this was a school built on logic and rhetoric. And I remember my 14-year-old daughter came home one day, and she said, oh, my gosh, you won't believe what happened at lunchtime. The, the school lunch attendant came out and said, you guys need to sit perpendicular to the bench and not face your, 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 your fellow students across the table. Because it was implied that COVID only goes in 
One Direction. I mean, it was completely lost on these folks how ridiculous they sounded, but they were so swept up in the fear. And the interesting thing is because the pandemic became so localized in your county and your school district, you could go 20 miles to the east and find a county in a supermarket that wasn't masked at all and go five minutes from your house and they're masked up until December. It's just, it was a crazy sort of catch-all and it all depended on your local experience. I actually love that. So we ended up doing, so we live in um, a suburban area of St. Louis, which the mandates were very draconian here. They even closed churches down for a while. So we realized that the Republican county adjacent to us, it's where everyone's moving to when they get sick of the politics here. They just move. It's literally six, seven miles to the west of us. So what we did was we would, after church, instead of trying to go to brunch here, because everywhere here you had to wear a mask, and some of them had a notepad out where you had to write down your name and your phone number so you could be contact traced just in case anyone in the restaurant came down with COVID. They wanted to know your, you know, your personal phone number and your full name. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this, not to eat at, this food's not even that great. So we just drove six miles to the west, literally just crossed the river. And we would sit down. Some, some of the places required we wear a mask until we got to our table. Some of them didn't. But they were all open for business and they were very, very, very responsive. And they had such a boom in business. I mean, I, those people must have made money hand over fist during the pandemic from us coming across the river to eat. And it was just normalized to us that that area is more free than we are. And my daughter said to us, and you know, young adults, they're observant too. We were driving there to shop. We'd actually driven out there to go to what used to be called Garden Ridge. I think they call it home now. And we went out there to get some cushions. And she said, why is it so much freer out here? Why? And I said, Republicans run this area. She <laughs> said, that's the only difference? I said, yeah, Republicans run this. And Democrats are quickly moving from our area to this area because they want to implement Democrat policies out here. They're, they're not moving because it's more free. They're moving because they heard that people are getting away from their policies and they want to make sure you can't do that. They want to control all areas of Missouri, areas that are free and out of their control. That upsets them. And she just shook her head and she was like, wow, well, it's it's really great out here, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So that's the story. We're trying to push these uh, elements and get things done. Um, we've got a super PAC going. Uh, they'll be ramp- ramping up very quickly. And then, uh, again, we're just trying to give people the information and tools they need uh, to fight the COVID crazies wherever you find them. Because they'll take these same tactics and now they'll move them into the next sphere of whatever sort of emergency they can come up with. Because they know that a good portion of people will comply. Uh, and there was an article I read in the newspaper one time, Stacey, and it, it basically said uh, the, the American people are perfectly willing to do whatever it takes, uh, but they greatly dislike to find out later that it did no good, right? That was actually written in 1919 after the pandemic, and they were talking about masking back then, too, <laughs> because it turns out they knew afterwards that masking and mask mandates had no impact whatsoever on these things and probably made things worse. So. Those are the stories we're going to tell. We're going to try to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself and people can really enact these things in the right way. I love it. Well, I'm so glad that you could join us today. Uh, Blessings on the book. I'm sure it's going to be a barn burner. I've included the link in the show notes today and also a link to rationalground.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. And God bless you. Justin Hart, founder of Rational Ground, author of Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane.
Thanks, Stacey. Great to be with you. All right. Thank you. And we will have another podcast for you in short order. God bless and see us again at familyvisionmedia.org.